Well, I invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4, Joshua chapter 4, Joshua back there in the Old Testament, the sixth book of the Bible, and we are continuing our series through this book in the scriptures, and in the back of your worship guide, there is an outline of, of where we're headed uh, through that book, if, if that's of interest to you, to chart the path over the next few weeks. Uh, last week, we enjoyed the privilege of having with us our guest uh, preacher, uh, Matthew Terrell, shared with us from Joshua chapter 3. And he described this crossing of the Israelites across the Jordan as they're now preparing to enter into the promised land that God has, has provided for them. It's the fulfillment of all his centuries of promises to them that he's uh, giving to them as a demonstration of the, the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God laid out in that physical kingdom that they were about to, uh, to lay hold of. And Matthew, as he shared with us last week, was right on target in reminding us that this is a sort of Super Bowl event for the people of God. It's of that magnitude. You have a completely new generation of people. Remember, they had wandered in the desert for 40 years. You have a completely new generation that's come up now and didn't get to witness God parting the Red Sea for Moses. But God's kind enough to give them this uh, demonstration of His power, of His working afresh with the Jordan River. But more than that, again, as Matthew reminded us well last week, we see in the water and in the parting of that water a symbol of God holding back His judgment, His wrath upon us. There's more there than just some folks walking through and making it through a body of water safely. That as the the ark enters into that river Jordan we saw last week and the the waters are parted and the priests are standing there with their arms holding up that ark symbolizing God's presence, that we have a foreshadowing, a, a precursor of the one perfect high priest who would hold out his arms to hold back God's wrath and to free us from that. We have that beautiful picture that so too we could pass from spiritual death on one side of the river over to spiritual life. That we could pass from spiritual wandering over to being settled in the kingdom of God, in His promised land for us. It's a marvelous picture of many things that the Lord was doing for the people of God back then and continues to be doing and is doing an even greater fulfillment in our lives today. Just as this crossing is a a Super Bowl-sized event with incredible meaning for the people of God, God highlights what He's done. And that's what we're going to see this morning with a sort of of end-of-the-game trophy ceremony, if you will. He gives a memorial marker to the people to bless them so that they can remember what he's done here and to remind us even today of the markers that he gives us and and some markers maybe we can set up ourselves to remember the wonderful things that he is doing and will do in our lives. I won't have you stand today because it's a, these are long chapters here. So I, I do occasionally show mercy here on the Bible reading time. But let me read aloud to you as you read along silently Joshua chapter 4. And we'll skip a couple of brief sections of it. 
When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from among the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God and into the midst of the Jordan. And take up each of you a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And then jumping down to the end of verse 10, the people passed over in haste. Verse 11, and when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. And verse 15, then and on through the rest of the chapter, and the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. When the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests were lifted up on dry ground, the waters from the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask your their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the way that it teaches us things that we might not even think about being important for our spiritual life. And we pray that You'd help us to see some of those things today. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Football's Vince Lombardi trophy. Hockey's Stanley Cup. Golf's Green Jacket. NASCAR's Winston Cup. The Hollywood Oscar statues. TV's Emmys. The music industry's Grammys. Unlike biblical markers, biblical reminders, these usually focus in on human achievements. 
Their attention is upon what the team or the individual accomplished, not really on the Lord. But they're memorial markers, aren't they? Things that symbolize, that represent some achievement, some accomplishment. In their case, a human achievement. And the trophy or the statue or the green jacket is not the accomplishment itself, is it? It's just a sign. It's just a pointer towards some reality behind that, something that's been accomplished. In our passage today, as the people of God are moving into the midst of basically the military campaign that they've been preparing for, they do a really peculiar thing. They pause at God's direction to set up a memorial. They're not just taking a little hike through the woods or crossing across a little stream here, a little creek bed. They're crossing across this huge river, and they're about to go into military combat. It's amazing, then, that we see here the priority that God has for us on having in our lives symbols, signs, memorial markers, things that would remind us of all that He has done, all that He is doing, and what He will do in the future. If we set up these reminders in just a human way and build them on our sort of human confidence, like these trophies and awards and so forth, they they only take you so far. They only give you a short-lived confidence. But when we dwell upon and see the markers, the reminders that God has given to us, it gives us a long-lasting, enduring confidence that flows from knowing that He is at work. Let me show you a little bit what we're talking about specifically here. And, and, And as I share the main point that you can find back in the back sermon notes section of your worship guide... I'll also mention that we don't have time to read it today. We're going to look at it next week in some more detail. Chapter 5, chapter 5 in Joshua speaks of circumcision. And it speaks of Passover, which were two major signs for the Old Testament people that uh, we find today fulfilled in the New Testament in the signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so we see all over the map right here in this part of Joshua is this idea of markers, symbols, signs that represent certain things. And the main idea, I think, is just this. God graciously, as part of His graciousness to us, calls us to establish, to set up reminders of His work so that as we reflect on those, it'll expand and enlarge our faith. Now, at first glance, if you look at the events of this chapter we just read, they seem kind of silly, don't they? Or aspects of it does do. In a book like the book of Joshua that's full of amazing miracles, monumental achievements, things that the Lord is doing of conquering these great enemies, why pause and devote an entire chapter to God's people setting up a little rock garden. More than that, why require them to do this at all? Certainly they're not going to forget that this 
huge river was held back, certainly they wouldn't lose focus on that after they had seen it. And then, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, why? what's the strategy behind this? They, this would be kind of a neat idea to do on the other side of the river while that body of water was separating them from the enemy that are out there. They're now hemmed in behind by the body of water. they got nowhere to go back. And they're going to stop and set up a little memorial? This is battleground. Well, of course, the questions sort of answer themselves, don't they? Because God did command them to do this. And Joshua, this was recorded for us to read today. The fact is that remembering and setting up things to remind us to remember God's work is important to God. And you know why it's important to God? Because He knows we need it. Because He knows we absolutely do forget. You think about how quickly we forget the sort of day-to-day blessings and grace that God shows us. We not only forget those things, but we forget the, the monumental things, the, the Jordan crossing. We forget the big things as well. And like this uh, rock garden uh, that, that we envision this monument being, there may not to us, to some of the signs and symbols, I'm thinking here particularly of baptism and the Lord's Supper, there may not always be to us a sort of tangible, productive benefit from it. There's some mystery to these things. That's part of how the Lord wants to teach us as well. And then lastly, if this was just an idea that the people of God came up with, then yeah, it would seem like a, you know, a horrible tactical error to pause at this point and have a little memorial ceremony. But it's God who's told them to do this. And that means for us that we need the, the signs, the markers that God has given us. They, they minister to us maybe in ways we don't even understand. They're that important that God tells us to stop. And we need to put in our own lives some markers of what God has done. But what do I mean by all that? Well, the first thing I want us to see as we look at this verse is that that God definitely calls them to do this, to set up these signs. Verse 6 tells us that in Joshua chapter 4. It says that this may be a sign among you. Again, God's concern for us to have signs and symbols, things that represent His work. And then it's interesting, uh, just to pause here, the next part of this. It says, When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you can tell them. And it goes on to give them the description of what happened. So what's one purpose of these signs? Not just for us to see, but for future generations. And it's not just for future generations to see, but it's actually intended to elicit a question, right? What does a pile of a bunch of stones tell you about what happened in the Jordan River? If you're walking along that area a hundred years later or a thousand years later, all you see is a pile of stones. It doesn't tell you. They didn't put it into a, a, a hieroglyphic format so they could see what was happening when they crossed the river. It's just a pile of stones. What it does is it causes you to ask the question, Why is this here? And what I want us to begin to to think about is for our own worship time, 
Because I'm a person that's kind of a, a logical, rationally bent. I was, you know, an engineering guy for a while in my undergraduate years. And, and things like signs and symbols, things like this right up here, and things like putting water on our heads, either infants when they're brought before the church or adults when they come to a profession of faith, it, it, it's hard sometimes for me to see the benefit and blessing of that. Even something as amazing as the symbol of the cross. The more you learn about the cross and understand the cross, then it has power in your life. But if you just see a cross in itself and don't ask questions, don't engage with what God's trying to teach us, then we, we don't learn. We don't grow. What about, though, the reminders we set up? And I, I don't want to put these in any way parallel or on the same level as the reminders that God has given us, the markers He's given us. But think about how our lives can be blessed if we would slow down and mark some of the things that He's done. We, we do it a little bit as a church and, and as individuals as well. As a church family, we pause and, and when we have new members coming in, and we'll have this in another month or so. As new folks join the church, we pause and we have a, a meal back in the back of this room here. And it's a way for us to stop and say, God, we recognize you've done something here. It's not a complicated sign or symbol, but it's a way to remember. We've got this missions conference coming up. You know, it's a, there's a lot that's going on during that time, but one of the things that's happening is we're saying, you know, we think it's important enough, God's heart for the nation's. That we're going to pause one time throughout the year, at least, and have a special time set aside to think about that, to meditate on it. A couple of weeks ago, we had the privilege of our communicant kids coming up before the church and standing up here and taking vows, a sort of representation of what God's doing in their lives spiritually. So there's things we do as a church along these lines. But what about us as individuals as well? Maybe some of us, uh, have marked somewhere and remember, maybe do something special each year on, on that day if we remember a particular day when we came to faith in Christ. Or maybe when our children came to faith in Christ. And we go do something special. We have a special time of prayer set aside to that because we realize that was so important. I needed, I wanted to mark that. Maybe you've got a picture somewhere in your home and if somebody walked across it, maybe there's a picture of you in a certain place or you with your family. And, and if somebody walked across it just visiting your home, they wouldn't necessarily know anything about it. But it's actually the picture of right after you made it through a car accident or right after you made it through a particularly difficult time in your life or right after God blessed in some way. And it's a marker. It's a reminder for you. I always... Uh, joke with with patients. Uh, I guess uh, maybe I'm probably the typical male here, but um, you know when we go to sporting events for our kids, I just want to go and watch the event. But I've always got you know I got the video camera assigned to me. She's got the camera with her. We've joked a little bit that uh, if anything would ever happen to patients, probably the next picture the boys would have of themselves is maybe graduation from high school, right? Uh, because it's not uh, as priority. It's not as important. But boy, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that my wife has taught me over the years to pause and take pictures of things. Why? Because they remind us. They're reminders of what's happened along the way. Maybe you've got written in the back of your Bible somewhere, noted, some folks that you had a chance to share the gospel with. Maybe have come to faith in Christ to remind you to pray for them, to remind you how God was working in their lives. 
Maybe you've got a plaque somewhere. Maybe it's not on display. Maybe you just keep it. But uh, of that day when you finally realize, okay, I need to make a break with my past in this area of addiction. And I joined in with AA or with some other group to help me make that change. Maybe you've got the receipt that you have from when you finally cleared out that debt that maybe was incurred because, like we all do, we got a little bit prideful, thought we could handle and take on more than we anticipated and ignored some of God's principles. And now you finally got back on track and you've got that. You keep that to remember. Maybe your anniversary each year, if you're married, is not just a time to celebrate and enjoy time together, but it's a time to remember that time when you almost weren't going to stay together. These are the things I'm talking about, and this is part of what God wants us to do is, I think, slow down in our lives and mark the things that He's doing. Do you understand? I think it's important. A lot of us are going forward through life really fast, and God wants to bless us by inviting us to slow down a bit. Look at how it plays out in our passage. The second thing I want us to talk about is that these reminders point to God's work, right? All the things I mentioned, there are things maybe in our lives or in the life of our church, but they're not about us. Ultimately, they're about God and what he's doing. So when we remind ourselves, we're not only encouraging ourselves, but we're getting to see God more clearly. The river is the first sign you, or first element of God's work you see here in, in, this, uh, in this chapter. The river is divided in half. Now, you know, you hear and read enough of the scriptures and this sort of gets to be commonplace. Sure, God's always parting rivers. That's just kind of what he does in his free time. Well, this is amazing, people. This is a miracle. And there's certainly been some that have, you know, demonstrated that the Jordan River is at various points through landslides and so forth been stopped up. And uh, it personally doesn't matter to me if God used some secondary means to do it. It doesn't matter. Use the wind to blow it back. Uh, however it happened, it's miraculous. And we see that in crystal clarity because what happens tells us specifically here when the priests step up out of the water. All the waters come right back together. Okay. The river's a sign of God's miraculous working. The stones. Think about the stones that they bring out for a minute. I don't think I'm taking this too far. What, what about these stones? Is there anything special about them that we know of? No. Doesn't tell them to get any specially shiny stones or particular stones. Where were the stones before they were put into the pile for the memorial? Sitting at the bottom of the river. Water rushing over them for who knows how long. But all of a sudden, because God wants to show His people something, He takes something that's pretty common Picks it up out and piles it into a stack, into a pile. And boy, I'll I'll say more probably in a minute when we're at the table, but you think about crackers and grape juice. Crackers and wine. Pretty common stuff. And yet God uses that. He delights to use common things to get us to think about Him, to dwell upon Him. I was at a uh, history conference uh, that I had the opportunity to speak at yesterday and continue to work on some of my PhD work. So I did my little uh, spiel and then I went to another seminar and I didn't look at the 
little guide very carefully for the, for the breakout sections. There were supposed to be three speakers, and then the one that I really wanted to see wasn't there. So you're kind of stuck in there. You're already in the classroom, and there were maybe 15 people at one of these things, so it's awkward to get up and leave. And the guy who's doing the next presentation, I hadn't read it very carefully, he got up and he said, I'm going to give my presentation on grave markers at various cemeteries around the country. I mean, could you imagine anything that would be more morbid or potentially dull? Like this is the epitome of some kind of academic conference. You know what was wild? It was absolutely fascinating to see what you could learn about people and our culture by what people put on their tombstone and so forth. But he reminded me of something that I had forgotten. And maybe you, I want to say maybe at the end of the movie Schindler's List, I'm not recommending the movie Schindler's List, but maybe at the end of that movie, uh, you recall, and he mentioned this in every cemetery that he'd been to in the uh, Jewish section of the cemetery or among the Jewish graves, wherever they were, that instead of putting like, you know, other folks might do some flowers over here or maybe a little something representing the person and what they kind of prioritized in their life, that all that was placed around those Jewish tombstones, Jewish mausoleums, were little stones put on top. Little stones set on top. That still today, there's this idea that these stones are a memorial. They're a marker for us of what God is doing. Certainly the ark of the Lord going through the river as we saw last week, it's a symbol of God's presence with His people. Just like this table, just like baptism says God is with His people. He's present with us. He's marking us for Him. And then we've mentioned already earlier the priests and the work of the priests and the fulfillment of that priesthood in Christ. What an amazing thing again. There we have this picture in Jordan of these priests holding out their arms to hold up the ark, as it were, but God's wrath being restrained and God's grace being shown to take His people through. There's a reason there's a thousand spiritual songs written about crossing over Jordan, about going into the promised land. There's a reason that's a picture in our culture of going into heaven, of going into God's kingdom, because it's a marvelous picture of God's grace. Last thing I want us to see is that we are called to reflect upon all these things. I've already been encouraging you to do that. I won't say too much more about it, but look with me at verse 24 of chapter 4, the very last verse. What's the end game? What's the purpose of all of this remembering, this marking? The marking that God does for us and prescribes for us or marking we would do to see God's working Verse 24 says, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Isn't that amazing? God wants to do a work. He's demonstrating something. Again, let's come back to the signs and symbols that He gives us to participate in as a church that are hard for me to grasp, that have a mysterious element. But baptism, think about baptism. It symbolizes for the world, for anyone that knows about it, that there's cleansing from sin that we can have, that there's grace and mercy, that there's a raising up of new life that we can have through Christ. The table reminds us constantly that one had to die for us. He had to give his body up for us. 
and that we can have strength to walk in the spiritual life by feeding upon Him, by having Him be our food. Obviously, some of these markers that we would set up in our own lives on an individual basis are going to be highly individual, unique to who you are. As I said, that picture sitting on a shelf in your house or that list in the back of your Bible or whatever you do to remember some of the wonderful things God has done, that's going to be individualized. But it's interesting that all that's written in this chapter 4, and I'll close with this and then an illustration, all that's written here are not just sort of suggestions. Did you notice that in reading through the chapter? It's real specific. God told Joshua to do this. Joshua told these guys to go get these stones out. God told Joshua to tell the priests to do this. God, it's, it's command and, and action. And so that's part of why we practice these things as a church, too, and why we recognize these signs and symbols is because God says it's good for us, and we want to follow Him. And even if we don't always get the full blessing out of it that we might, we can look for His working because He's called us to obey Him. In doing these things. At the end of C.S. Lewis's book that he wrote about his conversion, it's entitled Surprised by Joy, he uses an illustration that I want to end with for today of, of travelers getting lost on a journey that they're taking and about how it relates to the, the signs that God gives us to direct us upon his path. Because the the signs are wonderful. The signs are something, as I'm calling us to today, to give more attention to and to see more of God's grace in. But they're about God. They're pointing towards something. And Lewis said this. I'll kind of update it, if you will, for our contemporary period. He described for us the, the challenge. Imagine the challenge of driving around, and you've probably been there, maybe had some folks with you in the car. You're trying to find your way to a place you've never been to before. And the, the GPS system in your car or the, the map app on your phone just isn't getting it done. And you've been wandering around and making this turn and making that turn, and you, you know the name of the street you're trying to get to or the, the exit you need to get off of, the number of it, but you don't have anything to help you. You know how exciting it is then when you're in that situation and all of a sudden somebody in the car says, oh, Look, there it is. There's, there's Washington Boulevard. That's what we've been looking for. Oh, but, you know, there it is, exit 182. That's what we're searching for. And everybody in the car, after you've been frustrated for you know, minutes or hours driving around, looks at the sign and is excited about the sign. Okay. And then what happens? You get back on track. You know you're headed towards the destination then. And maybe you're passing more signs along the way. You know, you look off to the right, Washington Boulevard. Next intersection, Washington Boulevard. Next intersection, Washington Boulevard. Not nearly so exciting or interesting, is it? Even though it's still pointing you right along the way. Lewis said this about these signs. He said, they will encourage us and we shall be grateful to the authority that set them up. But we shall not stop and stare, or not much, not on this road, though their pillars, the pillars of the sign, are of silver 
and their lettering may be of gold. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank You that You give us signs to point us to You as a church that You prescribe for us and their uh, pillars are of silver. Their lettering is of gold. And yet we thank You that those signs point us to Jerusalem. Point us to the Promised Land. Point us to You, Lord. And we ask that You would allow us to experience more of You through the signs that You've called us to set up. And, and Lord, that You would direct us as well for our own benefit, for our own blessing, to set up markers, maybe that are real individual to us. And maybe we need to set up some more as a church family to recognize all that You are doing in our lives and to praise and worship You, to be encouraged in our journey along the pathway towards Your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.